This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of May 9th. 2022 through May 13th. And Mayim Bialik is back with us hosting again after having had Ken Jennings for a while. And uh, how are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing pretty well. The last few weeks I've talked about how like things are ramping up to the end of the school year. And that is absolutely true still. Uh, but we are we are getting to the end. And uh, I am pretty tired. My students are pretty tired. But it's good. They're doing well. They're they're keeping up. And this is, upon reflection, just to share some positivity, this has been the my best year of teaching. As much as there has been, like, a whole bunch of problems coming out of remote teaching and students learning to be students again and a year of, of, of no social interaction for many of these kids, which is detrimental to their, like, development and well-being. Yeah, it's actually overall been really great. Yeah. So nice. So that's been that's been good, and you know I'm I'm feeling more positive because it's like graduation is less than two weeks away. Yes, I can do this. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So nice. how are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. We were dealing with some kid health stuff over the last couple of weeks. Um, it turns out that a splinter can be majorly debilitating. I think I talked about that a little bit last week, but we're we're coming did, through the yeah. other side, and. Uh, working on making coverage plans so that I can be away on sabbatical for almost three months this summer uh, from my work. So that's uh, right. that's a lovely thing on the horizon. And yeah, yeah, just uh, we are not approaching the end of the school year here. We've got like, <laughs> I don't know, six more weeks, maybe. Um, yeah. But, you know, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. You know, the, the weather's changing. And, you know, I don't know. It's a nice time of year. It is a nice time of year. That's yeah. True. So, um, Monday, May 9th, we have the contestants, Emily Levant, an associate creative director from Los Angeles, California. I hope I said her name right. I thought that Johnny Gilbert put kind of a French spin on it and didn't pronounce the T, but I, maybe, maybe I'm mistaken. Kareem Oliver, a student at Vanderbilt University from St. Petersburg, Florida. And Danielle Moore, a digital marketing manager from Peachtree Corners, Georgia, whose one-day cash winnings total 15600 And we have the Jeopardy round categories all about amphibians, colorful albums, prepositional literature, menace to sobriety, international rhyme time, and two R's not to reason why there will be two R's in each correct response. Kareem's reactions when he missed things that he knew, maybe there was just one that I'm thinking of, Mm -hmm. um, were big and I felt a lot of sympathy. Yeah. I mean, he was, yeah. I mean, he made it clear how he felt, which was cool. Yeah. And that he was having a good time. That's what I like. Like, I know, I know there are plenty of outspoken people on the internet who are like, no, Jeopardy contestants should be automatons who I, want I can to see instantly robots. forget. <laughs> yeah, I do not want to remember them as people. I do not want to remember them at all. But like, I like to see that they're having a good time and like, mm-hmm. yeah, engaged in what they're doing. <laughs> like, I don't know. I can, 
I can Google like Wait, answers do? to quiz questions if I want something to just give me answers to quiz questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was it was just one in this in this round that uh, Kareem clearly knew the Elton John double album with songs including the original Candle in the Wind. Um, but he said, "What is Yellow Brick Road?" And it's "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road." Yes. Which he was so much closer than I ever would have been. That's the only album title that I know of Elton John. So if I had to answer that, that's what I would have said. But there's mm. no way I would have rung in with that. Yeah. Although it is colorful. Maybe I would have. Maybe I would have because I'm like, well, it fits the colorful clue. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, he clearly knew. Clearly mm-hmm. knew. Yeah. That triple stumper at the thousand dollar level of all about amphibians. I, the word mud puppy came to mind immediately, or the the term mud puppy came to mind from immediately mm-hmm. for me, and it was like there's a ninety five percent the chance that that's correct, and there's a five percent chance that I encounter that that is a racial slur I encountered that, somewhere. Yep, because <laughs> right? it definitely like, sounds like it could and, be. It would not be worth a thousand dollars to me to find out which on national TV. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna just let it go by. Yep. Amen. Yeah. I, c- I couldn't stop thinking slush puppy, and I'm like, no, that's that's a ripoff. <laughs> icy. I know that's not right. What is that called? It's some kind of puppy. Like I know I know this term. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, daily double number one is in the colorful albums category. It's at the uh, six hundred dollar level. So it was just after that that clue that Kareem missed. And Kareem is the one who uncovers it. Uh, it's at pick number 10. He is at 800. Danielle is at 1600. Emily is at 600. And he wagers 1000. Gets a clue. Kelly Clarkson's holiday album, Wrapped in Red, includes this colorful Elvis song about a sad Noel. And he's got nothing. He kind of blurts out Jailhouse Rock at the last minute. I mean, one thing to notice is they, they did some gymnastics to avoid saying Christmas. Mm-hmm. So... It, you got to have Christmas in there. It's kind of pointing there. And that's Blue Christmas. Yeah. I know that one. My dad loved mm-hmm. to play Elvis's Christmas album at Christmas time. Did your parents... I, I don't know. I this is, I'm sure this is not like a universal thing. But my parents, like, whenever... When we would get into December and the Christmas season, mm-hmm. they would they would pull out their vinyl Christmas records. And we would we would always have some, Chris, like, vinyl Christmas music going on. Oh, we had a record player and some vinyl, but like the Christmas stuff was mostly on CDs. Mm, yeah, no, my parents uh, don't. That is that is far too cutting edge for them. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we were. Um, let's see what were there. There was like it's like before the rise of streaming services. It didn't make sense to have that much christmas music in the house right like how much could you really need and so we listen to the same i don't know like six or eight christmas albums over and over and over sure um yeah, yeah. i mean so i guess so did i don't know how many they actually have yeah. we had the bing crosby christmas we had the nat nice. king cole christmas album which was very good that that nat king cole album has like kind of ruined me for other people performing christmas music because i like I don't know. I can't hear the same songs and be like, I just know that Nat King Cole did them better. Yeah. You know, the Christmas song mm-hmm. and uh, Adesta Fidelis. It's like the best version. Oh, man. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, that Anyway. Yeah. That's way too much about that. Uh, at the end of the Jeopardy round, 
Danielle is at 5,400, Kareem is at 1,400, and Emily is at 3,600. And we get the Double Jeopardy categories, U.S. Geography, Autobiographical Movies, Let's Get Nautical, You Said It, Make It Singular, and The Nuremberg Trials, which was a video clue mm-hmm. um, with Sarah and Jimmy at the, uh, in Nuremberg. Mm-hmm. And as sometimes happens, especially when there is a video category, we didn't finish this board, um, but the contestants did prioritize the higher dollar value clues. Um, so the two that we left on the board were both 400 level, which is a good strategy. Yeah. If you get the warning, go for the higher higher dollar values. Mm-hmm. Unless you're in the lead and you want to maintain your lead by as much as possible. <laughs> right. Because then, then the higher dollar values give your contestants Give your uh, competitors more of a chance to catch up. Right. But, yeah. but generally, it's a better idea to go for the higher dollar mm-hmm. value. I liked the make it singular category. Mm-hmm. And I knew almost all of them. I wasn't totally sure about the $2,000 level mm. corpora, um, mm-hmm. but the corpus is the, the singular of corpora. But nobody knew the singular of errata, that is erratum, mm-hmm. the, with a U-M. Um, but they got the others. Uh, the singular of dice is die. Apices is apex. Mm-hmm. And the singular of criteria is criterion. I think it is time for everyone to stop being pedantic about the fact that data is plural. Are plural. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are we, are we making a Jeopardy podcast here or are we I, being reasonable <laughs> about things? I mean, it is, it is a Jeopardy podcast. It, it, it's important to know that data is plural if you're yes. a trivia person, but it is not important to well actually. Yeah. And to make that distinction in everyday conversation. Yeah. Yes. Not exactly the same, but in this part of the country, there are plenty of people who like to get pedantic about, actually, that's a bison, not a buffalo. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> do, do you know what big animal I'm talking about? Great. Okay. It doesn't doesn't matter. Although for trivia purposes, it does matter. We will we'll throw that, you know, keep that asterisk there for all of us. I'm not sure I, I know how to, like, what how to distinguish. Or... Oh, between a bison and a buffalo? Yeah, are the... Are they two separate? Are they are they both? First of all, are they both things? Yes, they are distinct species. Okay. Yeah. Are they, do they have like separate geographic ranges? Like yeah, like technically, like what we think of often in in North America in the United States as like a buffalo is technically an American bison. Okay. I don't I don't remember what it is that like are the distinguishing features or anything, but like I whatever. <laughs> Okay, cool. We often call them buffalo and like, who cares? (laughs) Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Mayim gave a really interesting pronunciation to a place that she probably has never been in the U.S. geography category at the $1,600 level. I would pronounce, the way I would read it is Coeur d'Alene and Bonner's Ferry are in the northern panhandle of this state. She pronounces something like, Cordelan, or like Cordelan. Oh, I missed it. She yeah. pronounced it very. She gave it like a much more French, and obviously it's from the like it is French. But yeah, I imagine anybody in Idaho watching was probably like it's pronounced Cordelan, like they're yeah. like throwing stuff at the TV. So yeah, uh, in case um, you ever hear it 
said out loud, that's how it's spelled. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number two is in the U.S. geography category at the $800 level, and Kareem finds it as the 14th pick. He has 1400 at this point. Daniel's at 9000 Emily at 4400 He wagers 2000 uh, which is the right move here, and gets the clue. Besides Boston and D.C., they're the three largest cities by population in the megalopolis known as the Boss Wash Corridor. And I think he just missed that he was supposed to come up with three cities. Mm-hmm. Um, so he says Philadelphia, but the correct response is New York City, Philadelphia, and Baltimore. Yeah. And then he has yeah. a very big reaction to it, which understandably. Understandably. I'm not 100% sure that I would have known Baltimore was the biggest. Like, I like I, I knew immediately New York City and Philadelphia. And right. then I wavered about whether Baltimore was bigger or like one of the Connecticut cities. Hmm. Yeah, I tend to think there, there's a train that goes from Boston to Washington. There's like a, like an Amtrak route. There is. Um, yeah. This is going to be a bit of a tangent uh, because I don't think I forgot. I think I forgot to mention it last week and I took it out of the previous week because I was wrong about which week it was. Uh, I recently hosted an episode of another tr- trivia podcast called Triviality, which I wonder if there are some crossover listeners. There probably are. So if you are already a listener, then you've heard my episode. If not, uh, you can check it out. Uh, my episode is called, uh, I believe it's Giant Robot versus Joe Pesci. And uh, <laughs> I took a lot of the material from our podcast. So listeners of our podcast would probably do pretty well on, on that episode. But this week's episode of Triviality that I was just listening to, like, yesterday, that host had a question about the Boss Wash Corridor. And the train that runs along it. Mm-hmm. It's its like one of those very, very strange uh, Bader-Meinhof yeah. uh-huh. things. It's like, I, I had never heard of this until this week when it came up twice. Yeah. So there's a, there's a train that runs, uh, runs along that route, which I have... I don't know if I've ever ridden from... No, I think I have ridden, maybe ridden from Boston to Washington or vice versa. Anyway, it stops in a bunch of places and... Uh, I think I would have gotten a little stuck trying to decide whether Baltimore was the third biggest or whether there was a whether there was a Connecticut stop that was bigger. Mm. I think Bridgeport is the most populous city in Connecticut, and it's like a quarter of the population of Baltimore. So Baltimore, by a long shot, is the sure. is the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Daily Devil number three is in the Let's Get Nautical category at the eight hundred dollar level. Pick number 23, Danielle finds this one. She is at 11,000. Kareem is at negative 600. And Emily is at 6,800. And she wagers 2,000 and gets the clue. This forward phrase has come to mean preparing for any trouble, but on a ship, it's getting ready for an imminent storm. And she gets it correct with what is battened down the hatches. At the end of the double jeopardy round, Danielle is at 14,600. Kareem is at 1,400. Emily is at 8,400. And our final Jeopardy category is novel titles. And the clue is a 1590 poem written for the retirement of Queen Elizabeth's champion knight shares its title with this 1929 novel by an American. And this was a triple stumper. Kareem uh, just wrote a thank you message. Uh, he says, what is this has been so cool, which Mayim affirmed and said, it's been cool having you. Uh, he wagered a thousand. So that drops him down to 400. 
Emily tried what is the Grapes of Wrath. Uh, 1929's a little early for the a Grapes of Wrath. A little early for that, yeah. Yeah. Given that I think the setting of the novel was in the 30s, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I believe so. Uh, she's wagered 7,000. Uh, that drops her down to 1,400. And Danielle tried what? what is the Great Gatsby? And uh, she's, uh, that's not correct. She's wagered 2201, um, dropping her down to 12,399. Um, but that is enough to give her the win. Uh, the correct response here is a farewell to arms. Yep. Yeah. So the retirement of a champion knight. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is his farewell to arms. That's, that's the, I think, the connection you were supposed to make along with, you know, a major American novel of uh, late 1920s. Yep. Um, yeah. But I didn't think of it. I don't know. Did you think of it? Yeah, but that's nice. because I've railed against a farewell to arms a number of times on the podcast and in my personal life. <laughs> I just uh, I just don't think it's good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Like I have not read it. It whatever. Uh, yeah. People can like what they like. I don't yep. think it's good. Uh, anyway, that brings us to Tuesday, where we have the contestants Cherry Ignacio, a software product manager from Maryland Heights, Missouri. Mallory Cass, a children's book editor from Brooklyn, New York, and Danielle Moore, a digital marketing manager from Peachtree Corners, Georgia, whose two-day cash winnings are now $27,999. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, state capital attractions, numeric homophones, from she to shining she, Jewish American traditions, outside your house, and college sports mascots. Uh, Speaking of, this is often where... This is often where that argument or the discussion of bison and buffalo comes up. Call it sports mascots at a thousand dollar level. A live American bison, Ralphie, is the mascot of this school at the base of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, Mallory got it correct with what is CU Boulder. Um, you could just probably could have just said University of Colorado because uh, that's the main campus. But Ralphie is an American bison, even though the team is the Buffaloes, the CU mm. Buffaloes, CU Buffs. Ah. Oh. Yes. Huh. So a lot of people like so, to get uppity about that. But it feels like there's there's an acknowledgement there that Buffalo is a, a common yeah. sort of acknowledged. Which, which, which is what half the people say. Like, yeah, we get it. Like we use the we use that term interchangeably even though scientifically it's not correct. Okay, fine. And then the other half of the people are like, Yeah, it's not scientifically correct, so you should not use it, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a pointless argument to have, as we've established. But it did come up right there. Yeah. Daily Double number one comes up in the From She to Shining She category. That's difficult to say. It is. Um, yeah. Uh, it's at the $800 level, and Mallory finds it at the 10th pick. Uh, she has 3000 at this point uh, to Danielle's 600 and Cherry's 400 And she wagers 1500 and gets the clue... Though indicted by Duterte's government in this nation, Nobel Prize winner Maria Ressa said, we are journalists and will not be intimidated. And she gets that one correct. It is the Philippines. Uh, So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Mallory's in the lead with 8,300, Danielle's at 1,800, Cherry's at 1,200. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, Shakespeare plays by quote, U.S. government, John Goodman is hard to find. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, Japanese history, G-Wiz with G in quotation marks, and the WWF, uh, which in this case stands for the World Wildlife Fund. I don't know. I've never had a particularly hard time finding John Goodman. <laughs> he does. He seems to be everywhere. He does. Yeah. Which is why it was probably easy to write a, a category about him. Even though we yeah. missed, we did not get the bottom two clues. Mm, uh, in yeah. Category, which is yeah. a shame. But yeah, we we had in those top three ones um, mentions of John Goodman. Um, not being really that hard to find uh, no. on on Sesame Street, The West Wing, and Futurama. Yeah. He's a versatile human being. Yeah. Yes. He can be used for many things. <laughs> Is it, am I misusing the word? <laughs> well, just a versatile please. human being. Perhaps a versatile actor. <laughs> a vers- yes, there we go. <laughs> Why? Like, I don't know. Oh, that's, I mean, who knows? Maybe he is. Yeah. Maybe he has a lot of talent. I don't know. I thought the Shakespeare category just seemed harder than many other Shakespeare categories to me. Yeah. Most of the lines were not the like the first line that comes to mind. Yeah. For the play. They're kind of like second or third most famous mm-hmm. lines. Yeah. And some of them like seemed to like have themes that I connected more with other plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, the twelve hundred dollar level. I kissed the air. I killed the no way, but this killing myself to die upon a kiss. I was like, well, <laughs> kill, killing oneself and, and kissing. Like, surely this is Romeo and Juliet. It was not. That was yeah. Danielle's guess. And Mallory tried Antony and Cleopatra, but that's Othello. Mm-hmm. And then something about the two thousand dollar clue: conscience is but a word that cowards use, devised at first to keep the strong in awe. That's from Richard the Third. No one tried it. And something about it, I was like, "Oh, it seems Merchant of Venice to me." It kind of does. I, yeah, I could see yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It may, maybe maybe it just was me, but something about this particular set of clues just mm-hmm. were more challenging for my brain. Yeah. I agree. In the Japanese history category at the $400 level, that was a triple stumper. According to tradition, this religion was introduced to Japan in 552 AD. Cherry guessed what is Shintoism. That is very late for Shinto, uh, although that is a religion you should associate with Japan. And Danielle guessed what is Christianity. That's a bit early for Christianity to have reached there, but uh, that, that was Buddhism. And mm-hmm. you sh- you should associate Zen Buddhism with Japan. It is it is a it is a very big religion in Japan. Yeah. Um, one thing that I always remember is during the Meiji Restoration in the 1860s, uh, the samurai class was disbanded was was gotten rid of, uh, and what the government did was they offered samurai to bring in their swords and to exchange them for uh, shakuhachis, which are flutes. Mm. And and so the the samurais would take their flutes and they would meditate like on the roadside while playing them. And so the kind of like image of the of like the roadside like Zen, you know, guy just kind of like, you know, meditatively playing a flute is is where that comes from. Huh. Anyway, I, I did not know that. Yeah. Trade in your swords for a flute. I don't think I would do that. But the alternative mm. was like be arrested or killed. 
Yeah. The samurai were illegal at that point. So anyway, uh, daily double number one is in the Shakespeare quote category that we just talked about. It's at the $1,600 level. Pick number four. Uh, Danielle found it. She was at 1400 Mallory was at 7100 and Cherry was at uh, 1200 She bet 2000 And the clue was, the barge she sat in, like a burnished throne, burned on the water. And she got this correct with, what is Antony and Cleopatra? Now is the time for it. Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is pick number eight in the G-Wiz category at the $1,200 level. And Danielle finds this one also. At this point, she has 3800 to Mallory's 7,100 and Cherry's 2,400. She wagers 2,000 and gets the clue add S to the end of a word meaning pertaining to old age to get this brand of medicine that focuses on the elderly. And she gets that one correct. It's geriatrics. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, uh, that daily double helped uh, Danielle get up into the lead. She's at 13,400. Mallory is at 9,100 and Cherry is at 2,800. The category is live music for Final Jeopardy, and the clue is these two events held two and a half months and 2,500 miles apart in 1999 were the last of one major music happening and the first of another. This one I thought was a little bit tricky. Yeah. Cherry guessed what are Woodstock and Lollapalooza, which I think is a good guess. Yeah. And she ended up being half correct, but that is not correct enough. Uh, so she loses 2100 Mallory got it correct with what are Coachella and Woodstock, and she wagered 5000 And mm-hmm. Danielle missed it with what are Coachella and Burning Man. Yeah. And wagered 4801 which I believe Burning Man still is still happening. Yeah. Could, could be wrong, but I think some of my weird, well-past midlife crisis uh, aunts and uncles went to Burning Man one year recently. Because... Mm. I, I know I someone know. who goes every year. <laughs> I mean, cool. If, you know what? I'm not not here to yuck anyone's yums. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. if you like it, cool. <laughs> as long as you're not hurting anybody, do what you do. Yeah. Anyway, that means Mallory's our winner. <laughs> so uh, we get to see her the next day. Yes, indeed. And the next day is Wednesday, May 11th. And we have the contestants, Daniel Wynn, a high school math teacher from San Jose, California, Michaela Tuttle, a wine import manager from Nashville, Tennessee, and Mallory Cass, a children's book editor from Brooklyn, New York, whose one-day cash winnings total 14100 And we have the Jeopardy round categories from Queens, Geometry Class, American History, four in quotation marks, each correct response will contain the number four, this and that, and more than one meaning. My spouse got very irritwa- irritated at the $600 level of geometry class. Uh, the clue there was, according to Euclid, equal circles are those for which either of these two measurements are equal. Makes sense. Um, Daniel tried, what's the radius? Mallory tried, what are the radius and the circumference? Both of those were ruled incorrect uh, because Euclid said radius and diameter. Now, my spouse got ir- irritated because... The radius also would be equal because the radius is half of the diameter. Right. Um, Yeah. And so it's like you have to guess right or know kind of exactly what Euclid said. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I can see that. Yeah. Because like mathematically. They go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. If the the radiuses, radii are equal, then so will be the diameters. Right. Exactly. 
there's a <laughs> there's a, a funny nerdy moment in the uh, from Queens category at the eight hundred dollar level. This rapper was born Curtis Jackson the third in South Jamaica, Queens, but known as Boo Boo as a child. Daniel rang in and said, "Who is Fifty Cents?" Nerd. <laughs> uh, Michaela picked up the rebound with "Who is Fifty, 50 Cent?" I can't even yeah. say it that way. I got you. Got to say it, Fifty. Fifty yeah. Cent. Oh, I don't think we made a note that the previous day. I think the previous day there was that. Was it like uh, like a Roy Croc, Ray Croc? Oh yeah, yeah. There up? was a moment. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened. I remember it happened. I just forgot to say it at the time. It, it felt sort of similar. Uh, it's not. It's not the exact same error. Yeah, but it was. It was the unfortunate miss. Yeah, I thought it was kind of funny in the four category. The $200 level pure gold has this measurement. The correct response was 24 carats. Daniel yeah. got that one. And then the next one, a mother goose nursery rhyme says, sing a song of six, six pence, a pocket full of rye, this many blackbirds baked in a pie. That's four and 20. And Michaela got that one. Both of them that were the like the first two responses were, both, like, yeah. were 24s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could have they could have made every response some kind of 24. Yeah. There, I mean, there, there are plenty of 24s in... In our yeah. world. It just seemed weird to I noticed the same thing. I had the, yeah. I had the same thought. I was like, four and twenty is twenty-four. Yeah. That's what but we just answered that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, would they have taken like did you did you need to provide the quote exactly? They just wanted to know this many, right? So right. like if you said twenty-four, would they take it? I don't know. I think they would. I would think they'd have to because they didn't stipulate that you had to you had to name it in like in the in the verbiage of of the poem, so right. Daily double number one is in the American history category at the uh, six hundred dollar level. Uh, Mallory finds it at pick number one. It's the first Yay! pick of the round. Yeah, she she sniped it. Uh, so everyone's at zero, and she wagers a thousand. Gets the clue. These four words of advice from newspaper editor Horace Greeley were followed by quote and grow up with the country. And she has no idea. She guesses what is live long and prosper. <laughs> nice. Almost. So close, but so far. Those words are go west, young man. Yeah. that I feel like that comes up in trivia a lot. I feel that way, too. It, it is a quote to know. Um, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Mallory is at 600, Michaela's at 3,800, and Daniel's at 5,200. And we get the double Jeopardy categories. Beastly art. Timely talk. Sci-fi trilogies, brand names, going global, and what's that song called? I could not identify almost any of the songs, even oh. though I know these songs. Like something, I don't know. I think what we're what the conclusion I'm coming to is that is that my brain was not working for me when I was watching these mm-hmm. episodes. I could I could see that. Yeah, I, I did recognize Dancing Queen. Well, I would certainly hope so. A lot of these, it's like, the thing I recognize about the song is not the lyrics of the song, you know? Yeah. Like, the the driver's license, one, red lights, stop signs, I still see your face in the white cars, front yards. Like, I, something about the lyrics, like, my brain was like, that seems like maybe it's country music. Mm-hmm. And then there was no chance I was going to get to Olivia Rodrigo from that point. Right. That's kind of how I felt when it came up. I was like... My brain wanted to put it to the tune of uh, Don't Stop Believin'. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't 
I don't think those are the lyrics. I know that song. I'm pretty sure that's not it. But my brain was like, whoa, what else could it be? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And like once you've headed down the road with the wrong genre, like there there is it's very, very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in the timely talk category at the $1,600 level. And Michaela finds it at the 19th pick. She has 5,800 at this point to Mallory's 3,800 and Daniel's 6,000. She wagers 2,000 and gets the clue. Some of the first units of these were organized in Worcester County, where I'm from, Massachusetts, in 1774. And this being the timely talk category, uh, she gets that one correct. It's Minutemen. Um, don't think I don't think I actually knew that about Worcester. Oh, nice. Yeah. Of course, that's referring to uh, students at uh, University of Massachusetts, right? <laughs> and Daily Double number three is in the going global category. Also at the $1,600 level, it's pick number 23, and Daniel finds it. Uh, he is at 8,000. Mallory is at 3,800. Michaela is at 9,000. And he bets 3,000 to take the lead. I might have gone bigger, but at least it's big enough to take the lead here. And he gets a clue. This fifth largest island in the world is found between the Canadian mainland and Greenland. And he gets that correct with what is Baffin Island. Mm-hmm. That is a nice. good one Good one to remember. Because like the top four are pretty easy to remember, right? Greenland, mm-hmm. Borneo, New Guinea, Madagascar. But then number five is one that does not come up quite so much. Yep. Nice one, Daniel. Uh, So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, uh, Daniel is uh, in the lead with 13,000. Mikhail is at 9,400. Mallory is at 6,200. And we have the final Jeopardy category, Say It in Italian. And the clue, it's an Italian word for mercy, but also the name of a movie character who kills Stracci and Carlo. And another triple stumper. I did not get this one either. Did you? No, I couldn't. Rem- I was like, Stracci and Carlo, like, I that sounds like The Godfather, but I can't think of a character from The Godfather that fits the... I can't think of the names. Yeah. Or, or, I was like, or is this like, I don't know, is this something else? Is this, you know, Goodfellas or, or some other yeah. mob movie or, or something like that? I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I had I had the same train of thought. And so then I started thinking about words for mercy. And I was like, well, Clementine means merciful. So so maybe like maybe I'll try and like maybe I would try and like Italianize that. But like, I really don't like trying to make up words for another language, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, it feels like it's kind of offensive sometimes. Yeah. And I would not want to do it on TV (laughs) Um, or at all. I don't want to do it. Like I, I, yeah. Um, only in the privacy of my own home. Do I want to be offensive? (laughs) Yeah. So Mallory was trying to write down maestro. That's not correct. She's wagered 3,500 and drops to 2,700. Michaela went pretty literal and tried what is Mercia, M-E-R-C-I-A. Not uh, bad. We're just Italian, trying to Italianize mercy here. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's wagered 6,000, which drops her down to 3,400. Daniel wrote, what is Scovikes? Do we, do we know? It's like, let's go Vikings. Go Vikings. Oh, I uh, got it. Okay. 
Um, yep. And he wagered 5801, uh, which drops him down to 7199, but still it gives him the win. And Clemenza mm-hmm. is uh, what they were looking for here. Clemenza. So you were on the right track. I was on the right track. Not the right track enough that if I were up there, I could have written it down and got credit. But, you know. It still nice. feels nice, it, right? It, it, it feels nice to have been on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that brings us to Thursday when we have the contestants Charlie Keeks, a writer and test prep expert from Salt Lake City, Utah. Matt Petrov, a management consultant from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And Daniel Wynn, a high school math teacher from San Jose, California, whose one-day cash winnings total $7,199. And we have the Jeopardy round categories in the National Park, the Billboard Music Awards, Native American Women, Beverages, Subtitled Nonfiction, and Occupational Homonyms. We had some, uh, had some triple stumpers in that Native American women category. We did. The category came out, and I said to myself, the Tall Chief sisters are going to be at the $1,000 level. And then they were. <laughs> you are prescient. <laughs> they absolutely were. It was a triple stumper. Um, but Native American ballerina? Yep. D- tall Chiefs. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotta, gotta, that's got to be a Jeopardy Pavlov for you. Yeah. And then the $800 clue I have talked about. Yes, I remember. Yeah, Making Out Road divorced this frontiersman and state capital name source, Cheyenne style, leaving his stuff outside her lodge. That was Kit Carson. Talked about Kit Carson. And his very bizarre relationship with Native Americans. Yeah. The the footage from the Billboard Music Awards was fascinating in that, like, a lot of the music I recognized, but I had literally no idea that that a lot of these artists looked the way they do, right? Like there, there's this, I, I don't know. I, th- there's like a, a nerdy vibe that or nerdy, like aesthetic that, that seems to, that, that several of these bands had that I would, that I would never have guessed. I don't know. Glass animals. I recognized, but I, I just, I, I don't know. The AJR song I, I recognized, but I don't know. I, yeah. I just had not. I had not seen any of these artists, and was like, "Oh, like that's that's not how I would have pictured them." Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Daily double number one is in the in the national park category at the four four hundred dollar level. Daniel finds it as the fifth pick. Uh, he has fourteen hundred at this point to Matt's twelve hundred. Charlie's at negative two hundred. And Daniel makes it a true daily double. Great call. And gets the clue, the McKinley Station Trail. He seemed to struggle with this one. And then, if I remember correctly, he seemed sort of, like, discouraged and, like, sort of, you know, say something rather than nothing. And eventually said, what is Denali? Um, And that was correct. Yeah. Nailed it. Mm Mm-hmm. So, at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, he's in the lead with 6,000, Matt's at 2,600, Charlie's at 800, and we have the double Jeopardy categories, all apologies, musicals by lyrics, four-syllable words, the 1960s, auntie, or auntie, A-U-N-T-I-E, like like mm-hmm. the like the relative, and establishment, haha, <laughs> anti-establishment. They, I think I've complained about this before, but they just keep doing it, right? The musicals by lyrics category, the 400, which is supposed to be the easiest of the round. The clue is, 
One short day in the Emerald City, full of so much to do. Matt tries, what is the Wizard of Oz? That's not correct. Daniel gets it with Wicked. I wasn't sure if it was Wicked or if it was the Wiz. Um, Mm. So the rest of them I thought were pretty straightforward. And the $400, it's like the writers forgot that there's all of this neg bait (laughs) for Wizard of Oz musicals, right? Like, you just have to roll the dice unless you know them all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Wicked is Wicked's the big one, but there has been a production of right. Wizard of Oz on Broadway, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the Wiz. And there was yeah. the Wiz, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a deeper cut, but, you know, something to know. But then, like, the $800 level, can you feel, can you the, feel love the love tonight? tonight? Yeah, it's like, gosh, I wonder which one that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the $1,600, $1,600 for identifying the musical that gives us 525,600 minutes how do you measure measure a year right like yeah it really like i mean you know that, yeah i agree that it was it was a bit out of order if if nothing else i mean i think like they i feel like the reasoning process is like oh emerald city like obviously you know the emerald city is oz and so obviously it's wicked it's like they forget that there are these other you know there's there are these other options you know um yeah. i feel like it's come up before Charlie seemed so pleased at the $1,200 level of auntie. And um, and she got it right. The clue was the haughty lady Catherine de Berg does not approve of a match between this nephew of hers and Elizabeth Bennet. Charlie knows it is Fitzwilliam Darcy in Pride and Prejudice. But as we've covered with the croc thing, like j- just start with the first name. <laughs> Sorry, the last, the name. last just, name. Yeah, just say just Darcy. Use the last name. Don't, yeah, just say Darcy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, like, you know... Props for having the first name at your fingertips, but like, just like just say the last safe. name. Yeah, just maybe, use the last name. Maybe your your brain does something stupid. You know it's Fitzwilliam, but and you your say brain Fitzgerald. is exactly your brain is just like, well, Gerald should follow Fitz, so here we go, yeah. right? Like, even though you know it's not true, but uh-huh. yeah. yeah, just make it easier on yourself. Yep. Daily Double number two is in the 1960s at the $1,600 level. Just pick number 19. Daniel finds it. He's at 17,600. Matt is at negative 600. Charlie's at 3,600. So he has a sizable lead and he wagers 3,000. I personally would have gone more. He had a lot more to play with uh, Mm. in terms of keeping his lock, but that's fine. And the clue is, on the metal podium in this city, John Carlos and Tommy Smith raised fists and also wore no, wore no shoes to highlight poverty in America. Uh, and he guesses, what is Berlin? Uh, but that is Mexico City. Mm-hmm. The famous, famous picture. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is the very last pick of the round in the All Apologies category. Um, which has been more about apologies in the in the theological sense, like a defense of beliefs, um, than like you know the uh, the more the the more typical sense in I don't know conversational English of like saying sorry for something. Anyway, uh, it's at the, it's the thirtieth pick. It's at the twelve hundred dollar level, and Daniel finds it. He's at eighteen thousand two hundred to Charlie's seventy six hundred. And Matt's 200. And he keeps the wager very small, 200 only, uh, which is a smart move here, and gets the clue. This English statesman published an apology defending Catholicism in 1533. 
two years later, he was headless. And Daniel tries, who is Mather? Um, Mather is a name to know, but not an English statesman. Yeah. Um, Sir Thomas More was the yep. correct response here. I finally remembered which Thomas got his head cut off. Yay! Yay! Good job. I was, I was like, there's a Thomas Cromwell. There's a Thomas a Beckett. There's a Thomas More. There's a Thomas Aquinas. There's a Thomas Aquinas. There's so many Thomases. So many. I remembered which one. Felt good. Congrats. Uh, thanks. Uh, so right after that, we get to the uh, final Jeopardy round. Daniel is in a locked position at 18,000. Matt is on the board with 200. And Charlie is at 7,600. The final Jeopardy category is Constitutions of the World. And the clue, amendments to its 1901 constitution require approval of at least four states before receiving royal assent. Uh, Matt got it correct with what is Australia? And he bet everything and went up to 400. Uh, Charlie got it incorrect. He put what is Spain and wagered 47.99. And Daniel made a zero bet. Could have played with a little bit here, uh, given the amount above the lock, but maybe he just didn't want to do math. He is, after all, a math teacher. So, you know, leave work at work. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and uh, he also, yeah, he got it correct with what is Australia. Australia has states. Mm-hmm. And the queen is technically the head of state. Yep. And on Friday, May 13th, we have the contestants Ryan Long, a rideshare driver from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Marie Shapiro, a retired school registrar from San Francisco, California. And Daniel Wynn, a high school math teacher from San Jose, California, whose two-day cash winnings total $25,199. Now we have the Jeopardy round categories Brisk Lit, DC Tourism, Holidays and Observances, Drop a Letter, Red, and Taylor's Version. Yeah. I see what you did there. Taylor's Version was all people whose first or last name was Taylor. Sometimes in the clue, sometimes in the response. Mm-hmm. In that Taylor category at the $800 level, if you heard the clue... Taylor Momsen played Cindy Lou Who in this 2000 film that you probably watch in December, and you heard Marie respond, what is the Grinch, and be ruled correct, if you were concerned about it, that movie was released as simply The Grinch in the UK, and therefore Mm. it is an acceptable response, even though Americans would typically call it How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You know, I said The Grinch and then was like, oh no, I did it wrong. The Grinch was the title of an American release, but not the one in question. The Grinch was a 2018 animated movie. And that's that's probably why I headed there. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Marie did eventually turn it around. She was riding the struggle bus for a while there. Yeah, she had a rough start. But, yeah. But, but she got back on track eventually. Yeah. Uh, so daily double number one comes in the brisk lit category at the thousand dollar level. It's pick number twenty two. Marie finds it, uh, and this kind of helps her get back on track. She is at two thousand, which is actually in the lead because Daniel's at sixteen hundred and Ryan's at sixteen hundred, and she wagers fifteen hundred and gets the clue. The wife of Bath and the summoner have stories to tell in this classic work, and she says, uh, "What is Canterbury Tales?" Which is accepted it's the canterbury tales but uh, Mm -hmm. there is not an alternative canterbury tales out there that we know of so it is correct Mm -hmm. and at the end of the jeopardy round 
Uh, Daniel is up to 4,000, Murray is at 4,300, and Ryan is at 2,000. And we have the Double Jeopardy categories, Treaties, TV, Who Played Them, Communication, Places in the Bible, Opera, and Starts with Why. And they very pointedly left the opera category for last and didn't even get through all of the clues. Mm-hmm. And uh, when when Ryan finally had to take us over to the opera category, he, like, uh, sighed, sighed very heavily. heavily. Yes, he did. Yeah. I felt bad for them on the $400 clue. After this character learns her lover has married another, she commits seppuku using the same knife her father had used to kill himself. Uh, Marie rang in and then drew a blank. She just couldn't come up with anything. Ryan rang in and said, who is M. Butterfly? Uh, that is a different derivative yes. work. Uh, and then Daniel got the rebound with Madam Butterfly. Mm-hmm. That was correct. Yeah, M. M Butterfly points you somewhere else. And, uh, I mean, I guess, understandably, they did not do great in this category. <laughs> um, yeah. There were more incorrect responses than correct responses. That's uh, true. Or, I guess, an yeah. equal number. And two triple stumpers. I mean, if you, if, you count the, uh, if you count the individual incorrect responses before they got to the correct response. I do. At I the do. 400, <laughs> then, then, yes, more, yeah. more incorrect. The $1,200 level, Beethoven's only opera, it enjoyed little early success as Vienna was occupied by French troops during its premiere. That's Fidelio. It's Beethoven's only opera. Also, it's not, like, it's fine, but in comparison to his orchestral works and, and his symphonies and such, it, it pales. Mm-hmm. It's like an, it's like a, it's a squarely okay opera that he consistently rewrote throughout his life. Hmm. There are four different versions of the overture that were performed at different times. Because he was never satisfied with it. Because it, as I said, it wasn't great. <laughs> like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not bad, but it wasn't wasn't you know at the level of his other stuff. So yeah, Ryan very impressively ran the TV who played him category and almost ran the places in the Bible category. He did. Yeah, he had a, he had a very very good double jeopardy. Mm-hmm. I loved seeing him ring in on the twelve hundred dollar TV who played him. Uh, Stefan on SNL and Barry Berkman and honestly, I cannot picture either of those characters or the actor. Truth be told. But I, I liked seeing him know he knew it and not be able to get to the name and then get Bill Hader at the last second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am Google imaging. Oh, okay. Yeah. Barry Berkman of Barry, right? Yeah, the show. The the hitman, the like with existential crises or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, ha- I haven't seen the show, but... I was like, neither I have I. That's all. I, I was like, I don't it. even know what show the character Barry Berkman is from, and uh, now, Barry. I, now I know. Makes sense. Barry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, daily double number two is in the communication category at the two thousand dollar level, and Daniel finds it at the twentieth pick. He has thirteen thousand two hundred at this point to Marie's sixty three hundred and Ryan's ten thousand. He wagers four thousand, so he's looking to. Um, if he, I think he's thinking if he misses, he will be slightly behind, um, but you know, just a little bit, not insurmountable. Uh, he gets the clue abbreviated AFP. The world's oldest news agency dates back to 1835 and is headquartered in this city. And it looked to me like he was, you know, sort of taking an educated guess, uh, when he said Paris and that is correct. 
Agence France Presse is uh, apparently the agency in question. So it would seem. Yeah. Uh, And Daily Double number three is in the Places in the Bible category at the $1,600 level. Ryan finds this one at pick number 24. He's at 12,400, but Daniel is up to 17,200 and Marie is at 6,300. And he wagers 2,000. I would have gone bigger. Yeah, I'd I'd have gone. I don't know. I think I'd have gone for the lead. Although I guess if you drop down to 7,000, then Daniel's in a lock. Personally, I still would have gone better. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gets a clue. This reluctant prophet boarded a ship bound for Tarshish that was soon caught in a storm. And he gets that correct with what is Jonah. Yeah, his claim that he seems better at this category than he is. I don't really buy it. <laughs> I think he I think he's good at this category. Entire the the two thousand dollar level that, that he missed. Um the Phoenician city that was home to Hiram who helped Solomon build the first temple by supplying workers and material. Ryan tried Carthage, which is a good guess. Um, but Tyre is what they were looking for. That's that's really hard. That's a hard one. That is hard. That's yeah, I, I mean that's the only Phoenician city that I know. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would have guessed, but I don't know that I would have felt confident enough to ring in. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Daniel's at 17,600, Ryan's at 12,000, Marie is at 6,700. We have the final Jeopardy category state names. And the clue, this state was named for a man born in Herrenhausen Palace in Hanover in 1683. Marie responded correctly with what is Georgia? named for King George II. Uh, she's wagered 6,000, bringing her up to 12,700. Ryan has correctly responded, what is Georgia? And he's wagered 6,800. Yeah, it puts him at 18,800, which I'm not, I don't understand yeah. that. Of course, he is in Stratton's Dilemma. I'm sure both of us figured that out because we make a podcast about this. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, no, no, yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes yeah, sense, yeah. like... It's not necessarily worse than uh, other bets, but... Yeah. it It's bigger than he has to go. Right. Anyway, that brings him up to 18,800. And Daniel has a miss. I think that he saw Hanover mm-hmm. and locked in to what is New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. He's wagered 6401, so a cover bet. Uh, that drops him down to 11,199, drops him into third place, and Ryan wins the game. Yes, indeed. And and good on Ryan. I he he really came into his own in that in that double jeopardy round and I was I was kind of rooting for him, you know. I I'm, I'm excited to see him play again. Yeah, and it's it it is nice to have a mix of champions. Mhm. As much as I yeah. have enjoyed all of this all of the big Big winners this season. Yeah, it everyone wants to nice. be the champion who who uh, wins one and then just wins the rest of Jeopardy for all of time. Right. But um. But yeah, no, it's it's good to it's good to get to see different champions and yeah. So this is the um, break in the middle of the episode where we take a moment to remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent We have a little bit of exclusive content up there for Patreon supporters. We try and make sure to get the quiz questions up every week right after we record so that if you want to see them before the podcast episode is edited and posted, uh, you can get a sneak peek at those. And we put other things on there as we have the opportunity or inspiration. 
If you have a few bucks a month to help us offset the cost of hosting the podcast and, you know, the other sort of uh, expenses involved in this, uh, we would welcome and thank you for that. Uh, so go check it out if you're interested. And we also like to acknowledge at this time that there are more important things in the world than our podcast. A few that we especially care about are blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, the Stop AAPI Hate GoFundMe, and rescue.org. So if you are having to carefully prioritize where to direct your funds, um, those are some things that we think are more important than our Patreon. So do you have deep dive guesses, Kyle? Yes. Uh, my first guess is the Tall Chief Sisters. I am not talking about the Tall Chief Sisters. <laughs> I felt so good about it. Um, let's see. My second one is the um, the Mexico City Olympics with the the picture. I I know which one you mean, uh, but no. <sighs> okay. Mm, I don't know. Are you talking about Horace Greeley? I am not talking about okay. Horace Greeley. What are we talking about? All right. Um, so you were actually in the um, in the right category with your second guess, but the the eight hundred dollar clue stuck out for me. Um, the nineteen sixties. Uh, this was the the Thursday game, Double Jeopardy. Broadening his message from civil rights on March two, nineteen sixty five, Martin Luther King made his first public statement against this. Uh, no one attempted that. That was the Vietnam War. And like, we all know about Martin Luther King, right? Like, I mean, who, who doesn't I mean, know? Him, right? Like, but the, uh, the narrative of Martin Luther King that we get in elementary school, or, you know, kind of the, the oversimplified narrative that is kind of the first one people encounter focuses appropriately on his work with the civil rights movement for racial justice. Um, you know, that's kind of what he is most famed for, what he devoted most of his public career to. But there were some other causes that he sort of branched out into um, that he saw connections, you know, between these different issues and that became more of a focus for him in the later part of his career and that kind of get uh, glossed over uh, in kind of the... Uh, you know, the simplified version of who was MLK that, you know, that we uh, that we often encounter. And that clue sort of reminded me of that pet peeve of mine. And, you know, and these and this like, you know, this this important part of Martin Luther King's life. Um, and so what I wanted to do today was to talk a little bit about the later years of Martin Luther King's life and career. And like his kind of lesser known causes. So in the last few years of his life, he was like expanding his work and making connections with other kinds of social issues more explicitly. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, and I think it's interesting stuff. So we're going to focus on some of Martin Luther King's less known work. I'm a little hesitant to jump directly in though. So like kind of very brief, big picture overview. Uh, Martin Luther King was born January 15th, 1929, in Atlanta, Georgia. His parents' names were Michael King Sr. and Alberta King. And you might be saying, wait a minute, he is Martin Luther King Jr., so why is his dad's name Michael? Um, he was named at birth Michael King Jr., 
His father traveled to Germany in 1934 for international church work. Uh, he was going to like a big kind of um, meeting of church leaders, as well as visits to sites associated with the great reformer Martin Luther. And on his return, he changed his name to Martin Luther King Sr. and his son's name to Martin Luther King Jr. Huh. Yeah. At the age of 15 in 1944, King began his college career at Morehouse College. He graduated from Morehouse in 1948 with a bachelor's in sociology at the age of 19. Um, Morehouse was inviting younger than normal students uh, to begin their college educations in the midst of World War II. This was uh, remarkable, but not like a, a completely isolated in, like case of, of being a very, very young college student. That was part of something that was like happening. Mm-hmm. He received a Bachelor of Divinity degree from Crozer Theological Seminary in 1951 and then began his doctoral studies at Boston University in systematic theology. In 1953, he married Coretta Scott King. Uh, the couple would go on to have four children, Yolanda King, Martin Luther King III, Dexter Scott King, and Bernice King. His last year of doctoral work overlapped with his first pastorate. He began serving as the pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama in 1954. And he received his PhD in June of 1955. In his role as pastor at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, he became involved in local community organizations and took a leadership role in planning the 1955-1956 Montgomery bus boycott. In 1957, he became a founding member of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Uh, In the intervening years. There were several less historically remembered, less successful campaigns around segregation and civil rights that we are just skipping right over uh, because they're not our main focus today. The Birmingham campaign was in 1963, focusing on segregation in public facilities, restaurants, schools, and stores. Um, It was uh, after an arrest associated with that campaign that he wrote the letter from a Birmingham jail. Uh, 1963 saw the March on Washington for for Jobs and Freedom, a collaborative effort of the big six civil rights organizations. Uh, This was the event where he gave the I Have a Dream speech. He received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. Uh, March 1965 was the Selma to Montgomery March. Uh, In 1966, he was working on housing discrimination in Chicago. So that's the – those are kind of the – the highlights that are most likely to have already come up. Mm -hmm. So moving into Vietnam, opposition to the Vietnam War. He was long opposed to American involvement in the Vietnam War, but initially avoided the topic in public speeches in order to avoid the interference with civil rights goals that criticism of President Johnson's policies might have created. At the urging of SCLC's former director of direct action, Uh, who was at that point the head of the Spring Mobilization Committee to End the War in Vietnam, James Bevel, um, and inspired by the outspokenness of Muhammad Ali, King eventually agreed to publicly oppose the war um, as opposition was growing among the American public. His first public mention of opposing the war in Vietnam, the one that was mentioned in the Jeopardy clue, uh, happened on March 2, 1965. Um, after addressing a Howard University audience, he was answering press questions um, and in response to a question asserted that the war in Vietnam was accomplishing nothing uh, and called for a negotiated settlement. But his big anti-Vietnam speech uh, was 
April 4, 1967, when he appeared at the Riverside Church in New York City, um, where he delivered a speech titled Beyond Vietnam, A Time to Break Silence. He spoke strongly against the U.S.'s role in the war, arguing that the U.S. was in Vietnam to occupy it as an American colony and calling the U.S. government the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today. He connected the war with economic injustice uh, and argued that the country needed serious moral change. He said that he opposed the Vietnam War because it took money and resources that could have been spent on social welfare at home. Uh, that the United States Congress was spending more and more on the military and less and less on anti-poverty programs at the same time. He summed this up saying, a nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. He also accused the U.S. of having killed a million Vietnamese people, mostly children. Yeah, um, I have not, I haven't, I haven't checked the actual statistics and you know sort of what the what the death toll was at that point but calling out you know the violence of of the war his opposition to the vietnam war cost him significant support among white allies including president johnson billy graham union leaders and powerful publishers he said the press is being stacked against me and complained of what he described as a double standard that applauded his nonviolence at home, but deplored it when applied, quote, toward little brown Vietnamese children, which that's that seems fair. Uh, the Washington Post declared that King had diminished his usefulness to his cause, his country and his people. Um, yeah. It, it's, God, it's so easy to be like. Ah, oh, but now, but now you're talking about showing compassion to our enemy. Mm-hmm. Now, now you're not on our side anymore. It's like no, yeah. no you haven't been listening. Mm-hmm. Um, people were were not really big fans of his work for racial justice a lot of the time either. Well, I mean, know? that's also true. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> um, it turns out that they liked him better when he was <laughs> when he was doing that. Yeah. He began to speak of the need for fundamental changes in the political and economic life of the nation and more frequently expressed his opposition to the war uh, and his desire to see a redistribution of resources uh, to correct racial and economic injustice. He participated in on April 15th, 1967 in an anti-war march from Manhattan's Central Park to the United Nations um, and gave a speech there. At the UN, King brought up issues of civil rights and the draft. Uh, saying, I have not urged a mechanical fusion of the civil rights and peace movements. There are people who have come to see the moral imperative of equality, but who cannot yet see the moral imperative of world brotherhood. I would like to see the fervor of the civil rights movement imbued into the peace movement to instill it with greater strength. And I believe everyone has a duty to be in both the civil rights and peace movements. But for those who presently choose but one, I would hope they will finally come to see the moral roots common to both. On January 13, 1968, the day after President Johnson's State of the Union address, King called for a large march on Washington against one of history's most cruel and senseless wars. It wasn't too long after that that he died. Um, he saw, you know, uh, connections between these various issues and I think hoped to kind of bring them bring them together. But that that large march against the Vietnam War um, that he called for, he was he was not part of 
bringing that plan to fruition because he died not too long after that. Mm. But now I want to turn to another major effort of his uh, final years, uh, the Poor People's Campaign. Um, so in 1968, uh, King and the SCLC organized the Poor People's Campaign to address issues of economic justice. He traveled the country to assemble what he called a multiracial army of the poor that would march on Washington to engage in nonviolent dis- civil disobedience at the Capitol until Congress would create an economic bill of rights for poor Americans. Um, the campaign was preceded by his final book uh, titled Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community? which laid out his view of how to address social issues and poverty. Um, he quoted from uh, Henry George and his book, Pro- Progress and Poverty, um, and particularly um, quoted him in support of the idea of guaranteed basic income, which uh, we would now call it universal basic income. Mm-hmm. So that idea is not new. The campaign culminated in a march on Washington, D.C., demanding economic aid to the poorest communities of the United States, um, but that didn't happen until after King's assassination. Um, He'd considered bringing poor people to the nation's capital since uh, at least October of 1966. That's the earliest documented um, incident of the like time mention of this idea that we have uh, when welfare rights activists held a one-day march on the mall. In May 1967, during an SCLC retreat in Frogmore, South Carolina, uh, he told his aides that the SCLC um, would have to raise nonviolence to a new level to pressure Congress into passing an economic bill of rights for the nation's poor. And it was at that meeting in 1967 that the SCLC resolved to expand its civil rights struggle to include demands for economic justice and um, challenging the Vietnam War. Senator Robert F. Kennedy asked Marion Wright Edelman to tell Dr. King to bring the poor people to Washington to make hunger and poverty visible since the country's attention has turned to the Vietnam War and put poverty and hunger on the back burner. And the SCLC's major planning before announcing the campaign took place during a five-day meeting in uh, late November, early December of 1967, where with King's leadership, the group agreed to organize a civil disobedience campaign in Washington, D.C., focused on jobs and income. Um, King envisioned the demonstration as nonviolent but militant and as dramatic, as dislocative, as disruptive, as attention-getting as the riots. That is the 1967 riots that had taken place the previous summer in Newark and Detroit, Mm. uh, garnering national attention uh, without destroying property, he said. The SCLC announced the campaign on December 4th of 1967. In February of 1968, King traveled to Washington to meet with local activists and prepare the resources necessary to support the campaign. He announced the specific demands of $30 billion for anti-poverty, full employment, guaranteed income, and the annual construction of 500,000 affordable residences. Uh, so those were those were the demands of the Poor People's Campaign. Mm. Um, He toured a number of cities to raise support for the campaign. On March 18th, 1968, he visited the town of Marks, Mississippi. He watched a teacher feeding school children their lunch, which consisted only of a slice of apple and some crackers for each child, and was moved to tears. 
A few days after the visit, he spoke at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., where he said, we're coming to Washington in a poor people's campaign. I was in Marks, Mississippi the other day, which is in Quitman County, the poorest county in the United States. And I tell you, I saw hundreds of black boys and black girls walking the streets with no shoes to wear. The Poor People's Campaign was controversial, even within the civil rights movement. Um, Bayard Rustin ended up resigning from the march, stating that the goals of the campaign were too broad, that its demands were unrealizable, and that he thought that these campaigns would accelerate the backlash uh, against poor and black people. Hmm. In February and March of 1968, uh, King directed his attention to the Memphis sanitation strike, although he continued to tour to raise support for the marches to Washington Washington he declared that the Memphis strike the, that the Memphis strike would be a major part of the campaign itself on March 28th uh, violent incidents in Memphis brought media scrutiny to the poor people's campaign the FBI released negative editorials for newspaper publication implying that the Memphis outbursts foreshadowed mass violence by the poor people's campaign which would take place in Washington uh, the SCLC released counter editorials which included the statement, the issue at stake is not violence versus nonviolence, but poverty and racism. Uh, on April 3, Martin Luther King was back in Memphis and was uh, where he gave a speech and was murdered the evening of the following day. So that ends, you know, that's that is that is where he dies. But they are in the middle of this campaign. So let me let me tell you a little bit about sort of how the rest of this goes. Ralph Abernathy takes over leadership of the SCLC, um, and less than two weeks after Martin Luther King's death, they hold a retreat in Atlanta to figure out what to do. They resolve to proceed with the campaign and apply for a permit to camp on the National Mall. Uh, they reorient the campaign away from civil disobedience and toward the creation and maintenance of a tent city. April 16th edition of Look Magazine carried a posthumous article from Martin Luther King titled Showdown for Nonviolence, his last statement on the Poor People's Campaign, uh, warning of imminent social collapse and suggesting that the campaign pre presents government with what may be its last opportunity to achieve peaceful change through an economic bill of rights. On Sunday, May 12th, 1968, demonstrators led by Coretta Scott King Less than six, six weeks after her husband's death, right? Like what, you know, just, yeah. she's a legend. Yeah. Um, begin a two-week protest in Washington, D.C., demanding an economic bill of rights. Uh, they kick it off on uh, the second Sunday in May. It's Mother's Day. Um, protesting cuts to Head Start. And on Tuesday, May 21, thousands of poor people set up a shantytown on the National Mall known as Resurrection City, which stayed in place for six weeks. There's a lot to there's a lot to talk about there that could be its own whole deep dive. Um, when the demonstration's National Park Service permit expired on Sunday, June 23, 1968, some members of the House of Representatives called for its immediate removal. And so on June 24, over a thousand police officers arrived to clear the camp and its 500 remaining residents. Hmm. Um, so that's the end of Resurrection City. While the campaign's visionary policy goals were unrealized, there were some policy changes that were likely influenced by the campaign. Expansion of programs and restoration of funds for programs including school lunches, food stamps, and Head Start. And just an epilogue, in 2017, a new campaign was launched. It was the 50-year anniversary of the original Poor People's Campaign. Uh, so this one 
calls itself the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, and is headed by Reverend William Barber, uh, along with Reverend Liz, Liz Theo Harris. They come across my news feeds from time to time. I don't know how uh, how much they come up for people who are not very plugged into like religion and social movement news. Um, but but maybe yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, that that movement's goal is to complete the work begun by the original Poor People's Campaign. So you know Martin Luther King. Um, there's a lot more to him than the "I Have a Dream" speech, and you know there's a lot to his work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not that the civil rights movement by itself was a little thing, but he was concerned with people mm-hmm. on, on more than more than just that front. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully folks learned a little bit more about kind of some of the lesser known aspects of his work. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to move into like some of the Martin Luther King greatest hits with the quiz, if you're ready for a quiz. I am always ready for a quiz. I thought you were. Um so uh, these quiz questions are inspired by some of the more famous moments in Martin Luther King King's career, although I think none of them, I think, are directly about him. Okay. All right. So question one. In 2020, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was the first woman to lie in state in the U.S. Capitol building. There was some consternation when this milestone was announced because people recalled correctly that Rosa Parks, the woman whose refusal to give up her seat and her subsequent arrest led to the Montgomery bus boycott, had received similar recognition. The distinction, however, is that the term to lie in state is the term for when government officials are recognized in this way. So what is the term for the way that Rosa Parks was honored when a private citizen's remains are placed in the U.S. Capitol in recognition of their service. I don't know. I don't know that I've ever heard this term. Mm. Or if I have, I'm not aware that that's what that means. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Uh, goodness, I truly don't know. So if it's lying in state... If you're a government official, I don't know. I don't know. Lying in public. Is that the guess you're going Yeah, with? that's the best All I right. can do. Okay. Um, it is lying in honor. Um, oh, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. That's yeah, less uh, fun than I yeah. wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the people who have lain in honor in the U.S. Capitol building in addition to Rosa Parks are um, four Capitol Police officers over the years, uh, two very recent, uh, two much longer ago, uh, who were killed in the line of duty, um, and also Billy Graham. Interesting. Yeah. So, lying in honor. Um, Question two. Martin Luther King's 1963 letter from a Birmingham jail quotes a wide range of thinkers and luminaries, um, which is an impressive feat since he was writing from a jail cell. So it was, I assume, just all, you know, quotes he had in his head. Uh, He quotes Paul Tillich, Martin Luther, Abraham Lincoln, and this fourth century Bishop of Hippo, who said something to the effect of an unjust law is no law at all. Hmm. Well, it's the Bishop of Hippo that must be Potamus. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's Augustine. 
Yeah, it is Augustine. Um, and he quoted other people, of course, also. Um, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to put together a, an exhaustive list. There, There's there's plenty of quotes in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Augustine, uh, St. Augustine of Hippo um, is correct. All right. Question three. At the 1963 March on Washington, Martin Luther King was the 10th and final orator to take the stage. After his I Have a Dream speech... The song, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands, was performed by this famed opera singer, the first African-American to sing in an opera at the Met in New York. Oh, my God. Oh, what was her name? The name that's stuck in my head is Marian Anderson. Well, that's that's good, because that is her name. It is her name. Okay. That is her name. It was Marian okay, Anderson. Good. Um <laughs> Yeah, I thought it would be too much of a gimme given your classical music background to say the the thing that I think she is most, most famous for, for yeah. um, her 1939 Lincoln Memorial Concert after she was denied permission to sing at the segregated Constitution Hall. Right, uh, which is what I was thinking of. Like, I, th- I knew that and I was like, well, it's a trick. It, it's not the same. It can't yeah, be no, the same it, person, yeah, but it's, yeah, the, same it's the same person. person. Okay. Yeah. Um, she actually had been slated to open the March on Washington program with the national anthem, um, but she missed her slot. Um, mm. And so she was moved to perform after Martin Luther King. Classic, classic musician. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for um, people who think that they could get to a place and then like it turns out that navigating your way through like a protest crowd is just it's just entirely unpredictable so (laughs) all right so you're at 20 points uh question four uh the 1965 selma to montgomery march for voting rights and the events leading up to it were dramatized for the screen in 2014 in the film selma who directed that film her other projects include 13th a Wrinkle in Time, and When They See Us. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm, I don't know this name. But I do know this name, but I always forget this name. Uh-huh. When They See Us. Oh. I'm such a white man. Ah. Oh. I think I'm going to pass rather than say something potentially offensive. All right. Uh, Ava DuVernay. DuVernay. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is. I agree with that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, all right. Martin. All right. So question five. Martin Luther King Jr. was the recipient of the 1964 Nobel Peace Prize. Name any other individual who was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in the 1960s. It's tricky because in two years, 1966 and 1967, the prize was not awarded. And in 1963, 1965, and 1969, it went to organizations. So there are only four individuals who received the Peace Prize in the 1960s. Um, And I'd say only two of them are well-known names. Uh, The 1960 prize went to a South African for his nonviolent struggle against apartheid. The 1961 prize to a Swede 
for developing the UN into an effective and constructive international organization capable of giving life to the principles and aims expressed in the UN Charter. The 1962 prize to an American who was a double laureate. He had also received the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1954. And uh, he received the 1962 Nobel Peace Prize for his fight against the nuclear arms race between East and West. And the 1968 prize was awarded to a Frenchman for his struggle to ensure the rights of man as stipulated in the UN Declaration. I think the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. I feel like these should be right off the top of my head. Well, only a couple of them. <laughs> and probably not right off the top of your head. But I don't, they, I mean, two of them are certainly names you know. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, there's one that I'm leaning towards, but I'm not entirely sure. I feel like I know the name of the Swede that you're talking about, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to be, like, I can't, I can't bring it to mind, but, like, I know who that is. The South African, I feel like I should know, but from the from 1960, I don't. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I'm gonna say the chemist or the the person who the double laureate. I mean, I know that he. I know that he had a a a, a very strong opposition to nuclear armament. After having worked on the bomb. Um, so I'm going to say Oppenheimer. Oh. Was it the other one? It's Linus Pauling. Pauling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was that was another name that came to mind. I was like, but he did he? I don't know that he was as strongly opposed. Linus Pauling. Okay. Who are the others? Uh, the others, Dag Hammarskjöld. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yep. That. Uh, and Albert Lutuli is the South African. No, I don't know. And Rene Cassin uh, was the champion of the uh, UN Declaration of Human Rights. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, fun fact uh, the Nobel Peace Prize was not awarded in 1967. Martin Luther King had nominated the uh, Vietnamese religious leader Thich Nhat Hanh. Who is that's a name worth knowing, and uh, you know thought very highly of him and his work, but he was not recognized, and in fact, no one received the prize that year. Mm. Yeah. Um, all right, this was a hard quiz. I'm sorry. Uh, so you're at twenty points, and the final category uh, we'll call we'll call it biblical figures. Well, I mean, you you could be drawing on anything. Uh, I'll I'll go with. Uh, hesitant 15. All right. The last speech Martin Luther King gave before he died used imagery of having been to the mountaintop and seen the promised land. This recalls the biblical figure of Moses, who, having led the Israelites through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, dies before entering the promised land. Who is the successor to Moses in the biblical narrative who takes over leadership after Moses' death. Um, you need a hint? Oh, I, I mean, I'll take a hint. I'm pretty... Then, I have a name, but... Yeah, the next Bible book is named after him. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's like... How, are there any... 
are there any of them named? I was like trying to go through and I'm like, which, what are they named? How, how it's not named after anyone. Um, but my, my guess would then be if it is named after, well, now I'm feeling, now I'm feeling weird. I'm okay. Levi. Oh no, it's Joshua. <laughs> it is Joshua. It's wait, Joshua. Okay, wait. Yeah. wait, were you about to guess Joshua and then I messed you up? I I was, but hang on. The next, so Moses dies in Deuteronomy. Moses dies in Deuteronomy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking that was Exodus. Like I was, I was thinking that Exodus was. I don't, I don't remember when the like the stuff after Exodus. Mm-hmm. I don't know the timeline on those. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all just more Moses stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I wasn't even aware that there was story there, but okay. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, I I really did you dirty on this quiz, uh, but you you managed to get five points from me from me nonetheless. Yes, um, that's all right. Yeah, we gotta have some we gotta have some low balls. We gotta mm-hmm. gotta keep it fair, you know. Yep, that's right. Um, well, thank you for uh, making a podcast with me as always, Kyle. Uh, and thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you would be so kind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are Jeopardy fans, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. That's right. And we will be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. <laughs> <laughs>